Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. And I am super excited to bring you a very special episode of Colton Classic. Normally, we discuss two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. But this week, we are talking with the uh, showrunners of a brand new podcast about film, Midnight Mass podcast, with The Beaches Christ and Michael Verratti. Michael, did I get your name right? You sure did. Yay! I definitely definitely prepared for that. Um, And of course... (laughs) Uh, listeners, if you don't know who Peaches Christ is, you have not been listening long enough, go back into our archives and pull out our great interview with uh, Peaches about uh, filmmaking and her amazing film, All About Evil. And uh, Michael, you're also a filmmaker, correct? That is correct, yeah. Yeah, and you were just telling me that you've got uh, a, a, a long-running short in, in that's been in several festivals this just playing as we're recording this uh, sometime soon yeah one of the shorts that i made is a short called the office is mine which uh is sort of about queer territorialism it's about a guy whose sole cachet is that he's the only gay in the office and then they hire a new one and it causes him to have a break with reality and uh we made that i think uh in 2018 and it played outfest and inside out and frameline and had quite a life on the festival circuit and every time i think that it's gonna you know finally wind down and go to bed someone else wants it and it's playing at a queer horror event this uh upcoming weekend in salem called fright gown they asked for it and you know it's, it's like my biz- it's my demented little child so i love that it's still out there causing chaos that's awesome and i uh i just want to throw out there too i didn't realize uh until I was preparing for this you directed i think season was it season three of the boulet brothers uh dragula show yes so i was a writer and director on season three of dragula i worked primarily on the horror intros so like the vignettes that open up every episode that put the boulets in different horror movie scenarios i wrote those and directed all of those as well as I did do some directing for some of the reality uh, portion of the show as well. So, yeah. That is cool. Do you think you'll be returning for their, I think they're contemplating a next season, right? Uh, yes, I will. And I'm not allowed to say anything else. <laughs> oh, those non-disclosure agreements. Yes. Excellent. That's We get the good stuff here on Colton Classic Podcast. Now, Peaches, 
you have been like I think all of us during this whole lockdown been trying to keep busy. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, this podcast is while late to the quarantine game is super excited. Uh, I listeners, I was just talking uh, before we started recording, as I often do, uh, about the fact that I was just about to reach out to Peach and be like, why don't you have a podcast? Um, <laughs> and and Michael, you said you had one before uh, with another person. And so you guys coming together, it's sort of you guys are horror fans, you're film fans, you're content makers. Um, what did you guys want um, out of this podcast? And by the way, the fact that it's Midnight Mass podcast, which is, of course, the name of the, the long running show peaches that, that you had in San Francisco, legendary at this point. Um, what was what's your goal with this? Well, I think, for one, the, the uh, pandemic um, uh, did provide an opportunity to be productive in a new way because I was really busy performing and doing shows and actually had spoken to my nearest and dearest about the fact that I really wanted to slow down with that stuff so that I could, you know, get some other projects off the ground. Um, ironically, a bunch of those projects are actually collaborations with Michael. Um, so Michael and I during the pandemic have co-written um, a feature film. It's a horror movie. Uh, so we've, we've finished that. Um, we're, we're working on, you know, another draft of it, but we do have a, a finished screenplay, which, you know, is, is a, an accomplishment. And we um, also, yeah, and we created um, a pitch for another uh, docu-series type show that, that's actually now out in the world and being pitched. And, um, and then I also collaborated with my friend Barla Jean Merman on a TV show project. Um, and so when those things were done, and I did do a podcast early on called WQUR, it was called Queer Quarantine Radio that I did with Jinx Monsoon and Ben De La Creme. And we actually, it was a radio show and you can go listen to it if you haven't heard it. We were going to do three episodes, but the writing on it was so much, it was hard. It was, we were writing fictional radio and it was, you know, and then recording them as characters and then having to edit them. Uh, it was so much work that we got two episodes in the can and then we were about to start the third, but those um, bitches decided to go off and make a feature film. No, I'm teasing. I was actually very supportive of their feature. And during the pandemic, they realized that their Christmas tour was being canceled left and right. Mm -hmm. So in July, those two sat down, wrote a feature film version of their holiday show, filmed it in August and September and had it out on the networks by November, right? Like that was mind blowing. But for all the people who are going, where's WQUR? It's like, give us a break. They made a movie, you know? <laughs> right. um, Which by the way, listeners, if you haven't checked it out, it's on Hulu streaming in the United States right now. It is yeah. excellent. I think it's the, the Jinx and Ben Cram holiday special. I think that's the, it is, the title. Yeah. And I, and I got to be part of it kind of from yes. San Francisco where I was able to help and so, so proud of them. But but all of that happened. And then finally it was kind of like, actually what happened was Michael and I started to talk to people about our feature film. And there was sort of this idea of like, well, why aren't you guys doing, because you know people who know us personally know that we're, um, collaborators and we've worked together and Michael and I created a, one of my shows together called Femlins. And, uh, you know, it was a smart suggestion from someone else actually that we should do a project together 
And that's where the podcast came because I've been wanting to do a Midnight Mass podcast. And besides you, uh, there's, there's this sort of, you know, Michael did this brilliant podcast, which you should go listen to. It's called Dead for Filth. It is a queer horror, fantastic podcast. And, and to be fair, uh, I can say it than Michael can. He was the first. Like he did a queer horror podcast before anyone else did. Now there's a lot of them out there. Nothing sure. wrong with that, yeah. but there like are a big lot. Big Gay Horror Show, Friday the 13th. There's there's, oh, there's several. There's a um, lot, you know, And but, but, but Dead for Filth was the first and Michael did a great job. And so it just made sense when, when thinking about what to do that uh, because of my uh, career as Peaches um, in cult movies, that we wanted to kind of do a show about cult movies, but we also wanted to not do the same show that other people are doing. Mm-hmm. And so we we are focusing really on the cults. And so it, it's, it's a lot more, we're doing a lot more investigation with the people whose lives have been completely um, altered by these obsessions and you know what what these obsessions have led to as far as other you know projects as far as life choices you know right so you're going to be talking about to me an obsessive weight gain right like that's that's episode <laughs> yeah. one exactly yeah, no. I, that's that's fascinating and it's interesting that you say this because um i michael i i actually had seen i didn't realize it was yours i'd seen your previous podcast before i listened to it and, and was aware of it and it's an excellent and it's i'm assuming it's still out there uh, people can go check it out uh, on the feeds and um i, I want to throw into it was um femlins was that when you guys had fifi o'hare as the female female gremlin yeah and it was yeah. willem in that one as well i was detox ms cracker and fifi uh that is yeah. phenomenal. I, I, listeners, you know, I'm in uh, the Palm Springs area and it is quite a trek out to San Francisco, but the dream lives on. I will <laughs> one day see one of these amazing collaborations. Um, but it's interesting that you talked about, you know, uh, talking about gay horror film in particular, because of course I am a cisgendered straight man uh, who happens to love drag culture. Boo. And, uh, Boo. I know, how dare I, how dare I? Uh, interview um, over. <laughs> that would not be the first. Um, uh, we're already canceled, nobody's listening. Um, <laughs> how, yeah. how have you not been canceled yet? I, I know, mean, and you're, I know. You're white. I, yeah, I think it's because so, I, I I viciously attack people as much as possible that are <laughs> similar to me. Um, yeah, no, I, I but it's interesting because I, I look for, um, especially as much as I, it's trite to say, but as an ally, I always want to see what uh, the community offers in terms of things that I already love, like cult films and horror films. And of course, we always have things like John Waters' amazing, you know, John Waters-ness uh, and, and many other people. But when it comes to contemporary horror films, I find that there's they fall into two categories usually, uh, which is either softcore porn, um, you know, for like the Cinemax equivalent of a, a, of a gay film, which there's nothing wrong with. It's just a very narrow niche, really. Um, mm. uh, well, not narrow, but it's a very small part of a horror genre in general. And then you have the ones where they are sort of akin to like the early 2000s. I'm trying to find the right word for it. The like new metal equivalent of a horror film, but just they just replace the stock 
straight teens with the sock gay teens. Um, right. And it's it's sort of I feel like there's uh, this this gap in in our understanding that that's those things are not necessarily uh, just gay horror or LGBTQIA mm-hmm. horror, and that there's really an opportunity for more. And there, I'm sure there are some, but more films uh, from the community that are really great films that have real 3D, um, you know, people from the community and characters that represent people in the community. Um, and I don't know what your guys take on that is because I think we get the same thing. I saw the same thing in the nineties um, with like death by temptation and other, and the sort of uh, quote unquote urban horror movement where it was mm-hmm. really a lot of white people putting out movies where they cast black people and made them speak in like generic Ebonics. And it's like, Oh, that's a black horror film. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you just need a film like like Jordan Peele's get out. You know, you just need a good mm-hmm. film. The, like Leprechaun into Hood. That's exactly. <laughs> you know, you need yeah. Dion Warwick. Yeah. You know, rapping with thirty pounds of makeup. Um, yeah. Well, prefer- it, it's interesting, right? Because I think a lot of times when we have these discussions, it's because people are looking towards the so-called mainstream to sort of answer that question. Where is the queer get out? I've had that question asked to me in in pitch rooms, you know, like what's the equivalent of this? First off, that's kind of a heavy question and and sort of not an easily answered one. But Peaches and I both come from a world of cults. And the reality is, is when you live on the fringe and you live on the outside, you see that people are already doing the work. And so it's the outsiders, it's the outliers, it's the indie artists who are kind of laying the bricks that will eventually be adopted by the mainstream. There are queer horror films and there's really brilliant queer horror creators. You just have to leave the multiplex right now to find them. You know, just off the top of my head, uh, Rift, which is an Icelandic horror film directed by Erlinger Torridsen, absolutely brilliant. Bit, a vampire horror film starring a trans lead. You know, these these are movies that are out there and available. We just need the people who make the big decisions, air quotes, to swing their lens to be like, okay, they managed to achieve this without us. What can they do with us? And and that's this kind of slow approach. I mean, any marginalized voice knows it's a, a, a very uphill climb. But if you can make the art, please do, because it's the only way it's going to keep getting out there. For sure. And I was thinking this morning, of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda and the inter- the filmic interpretation of uh, In the Heights is, of course, big talking point right now. You know, there's uh, while it's primarily uh, uh, exclusively a Latinx cast of varying, uh, from varying places, there's a lot of talk that there's not enough dark skinned people with Latino heritage and things in it. And what I feel, of course, again, cisgendered white middle aged guy i don't really have a, a lot of of uh of credit behind my voice but i do think that when we look towards like one thing as being the savior of the cause you know one film's going to herald this one thing um it's inevitably going to fail us and right. it's not you know it's not that it shouldn't be uh, more representative or that it shouldn't be different it's just the reality and so when we hear people saying things like you just have to wait it it hurts because you're like well we're all here right like why are we waiting and sometimes i think when people say uh, uh rita morena got in trouble for this when they say wait what they're probably trying to say is um it's going to take time keep pushing 
uh, and and keep looking. And like you said, uh, look outside the mainstream. And, and Peaches, we talked about this in our, our, our previous interview where uh, it's sort of like, people ask and ask like, why are you into drag? I'm like, well, first off, it's fucking great. Um, but second, it's, I, I was that weird art kid. I was the weird comic book guy. I was the guy that was always doing something strange. Uh, and, and I still am. And I love that. And when you are ostracized in some way, or you just, whether it's self ostracized or from other people, um, you see that sort of liminal space around everything where all of us congregate people who aren't given opportunities or people who the opportunities do not fit what they can do or what they want to do or, or should do. Um, and that's sort of the what I loved about Midnight Mass as a name, as a culture, as a whole thing. And why I'm excited about the podcast is because it really is the gathering of people that like things different. Um, and so super that's enough preaching for me on the point but um really, i did want to add that like yeah. i think that what you were describing listening to you and i was like oh that's right there are those movies and you know it, it's funny because i've talked so much about queer horror and very rarely do i um include the stuff that's more um like I guess what I would consider horror movies with gay leads, because I've I've not even been interested, you know, or they mm -hmm. haven't been they haven't really been on my radar, and and so I do think there is a lot of queer horror to be championed, and I agree with Michael and you that that's the best way for us to, um, you know, move towards getting um, a, a get out, um, which mm -hmm. obviously took a long time. It's embarrassing how long it took for uh, a black filmmaker. Um, to make a, 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 a studio horror movie. Um, and, and that's where we're at, you know, same thing with women, you know, women and horror have been overlooked. Like, the, you know, this is a genre that has been very much a, a, a straight white male game with, with some exceptions, such as Clive Barker, of course, you know, um, where Clive was able to, and I would say that Hellraiser is queer horror, 100%. you know, and, and so it's that thing. Hellraiser like, and Freddy too. Those are the two big ones for me. <laughs> yeah. At least with Hellraiser, you know, with Freddy true, Fred, sorry, Freddy too, it was, uh, you know, straight people using right. homophobia and gayness as a weapon of fear. Um, whereas with Clive, it's so much darker and deeper and, you know, it, it just works on so many different levels. Um, and Michael's referencing the foreign films, it reminds me of uh, Let the Right One In, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, is definitely queer horror. Uh, the same writer did uh, Border. Border is definitely another allegory about being a queer person and um, and maybe not horror, but definitely genre. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, it's it's for sure out there, and it's good. Mm -hmm. But it might not be the stuff you get when you type in gay okay. horror. You might have to search a little bit deeper and look around because there's really great queer horror mm -hmm. out there. Um, and and, as you said, a lot of yeah. it just like any just like anything that is a subsection or subculture of society starting to peek through it's allegorical at first right because right. it's so much easier to uh it's sort of like I, I can't, my brain is going empty here but we we're talking about uh something uh, on a recent recording where it was uh 
We're like, this is a great film because people who get the people they're making fun of are enjoying it. And the people they're making fun of are too stupid to realize it's talking about them. So they're enjoying it. Well, and the reality is, is it is allegorical to a point, but the reality mm -hmm. is, is that queerness is in the actual DNA of this genre. And that's it. when Peaches speaks about how it has been sort of um, mandated and, and kind of forced along and gate kept whatever term you want to use by a straight lens it's it's because at some point along the way someone had to willingly choose to ignore the the genesis and the the mm -hmm. subtext you know like what we now view as subtext was at one time text uh, if you go back yeah. to the very roots of this genre in gothic literature, there are lesbian vampires and, right. and queerness aplenty. Dracula does not Carmilla, even exist yeah. yeah, without Carmilla, who's a lesbian vampire. That mm -hmm. was essentially Bram Stoker writing some vampire fan fiction and creating the most popular character in fiction by proxy. And so ultimately, horror is a genre of otherness. And who understands otherness better than marginalized people? Mm -hmm. So really what needs to happen is is not for this for it to peek through it's already here what we need is mm -hmm. a reclamation fair and i think that stands i mean you're talking about things that are of course across the board for marginalized groups right now in our political spectrum not just in film um but i also think that it's important it's one of those things where i always i always it's just it's a trouble spot in our society right which is um we want to attack something that's inconsiderate or something, of course, that's downright wrong. But we also want everyone across the board, uh, especially people who don't feel like they're getting represented in the mainstream culture uh, effectively to create. And of course, right now, I think, what was it this morning or last night, the the, uh, the trailer for Karen starring uh, Penzatucky <laughs> from Orange is the New Black came out, right? And everyone's like, it's a white get out, which is so which it appears to be very much the case where it's just like, ooh, this is just, I mean, who knows? It could be phenomenal. I have not seen the film. I try and reserve judgment, but from a marketing standpoint, it's a very poor choice because you do appear to be stripping something that was very representative of the experiences of the black community and using this horror uh, trope to to get that message across and i'm sure that at some point uh and i think soon uh everyone in the lgbtqia plus community will get to uh enjoy uh white rich people stealing what you've worked so hard for um it's gonna happen and i i it, it, it's definitely already happening i mean i'm yes. telling you because michael and i kind of are on have both feet uh, you know well one foot in the film show business kind of world behind the scene and then a foot in the sort of the fan world the cult you know we are fans first and foremost that's what led us to even you know being interested in working in the business or the industry uh we already know about a ton of projects coming down the road so it's happening you know it's coming and you know did you find out not... i was in the next season of drag race who told you <laughs> but, but but remember like television in many ways got there first, surprisingly, mm -hmm. because I would argue that Ryan Murphy has proven that gay horror is marketable and, you know, could make money. Um, and, and even before Ryan Murphy, you know, TV has actually True Blood and, and mm -hmm. you know, projects. True Blood, if you, if you are a straight 
you can watch that show and you don't know how gay it is, um, <laughs> then then I, I don't know, you're just clueless. I, the gays, all I know is that I mean, when I close my eyes, I still see Alexander Skarsgård's abs. So exactly, you know, yeah. and it's true. And and I and you know, and I think that, um, but I think that's a good example too, where engaging storytelling, um, you know, except for the last few seasons, but engaging storytelling uh, really helps every. It's like a nice, uh, it's like a Trojan horse to get people who are resistant or outright hostile to begin the path to acceptance because they're we're and people don't like to hear this term but i teach technical writing in my day job and it's totally true we're persuading people all the time and the things that we create whether we intend them to or not and hopefully we're aware of them uh we're indoctrinating people and it's not always a bad thing some people have views that hurt other people and indoctrinating them to be more open and accepting and loving and caring all these things is not a bad thing in any way shape or form um, and so things like True Blood, where, it, you know, there are many, I mean, I always think back, the first thing that I, even as a young man, saw and was like, this seems like it wasn't made for me, was uh, <laughs> the the volleyball scene in Top Gun. I, I mean, it's a joke, <laughs> but it's like, to, to everyone, but I'm like, it's true, though. I'm like, this is not my gaze. And I'm like, right. what? 10 I, like it just it was just a, it stood out to me and i didn't get it until later i'm like oh this is a very different view and it's okay that it wasn't made for me and uh that's a tom cruise movie which is a whole nother discussion right um well we are talking about gays and movies so right right but i mean I, you know i don't want to i don't want to go down that road but i will say that uh one thing that i think is exciting about the tv situation is in the case of True Blood, in the case of American Horror Story, in the case of Hannibal, in the case of uh, the upcoming Chucky project, you, so you do have queer people creating that content, mm -hmm. right? These are queer people who are actually the, 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 the creators, um, the showrunners, the writers. And um, I think that makes a big difference. You know, I'm, I'm so excited for the new Chucky TV show because, yeah, you know, Don Mancini, I mean, he tested the waters with the camp of Bride of Chucky. I mean, yeah. It's, no, Bride anyway, of Chucky, Seed of Chucky. Bottle. I mean, Glenn. Really. Seed of Chucky is like, wow. So, yeah, I, mean, the, that, I mean, the first non-binary character horror. that I ever saw it on is. screen. Yes. I mean, really. Amazing. Um, yeah. And, and of course, Jennifer Tilly, kind of an icon. You, of course, have, have worked with her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I recently picked up, they did a great transfer release of Bound. But those type things, I remember seeing and being like, oh, this is different. Um, yeah. Even with, you know, elements of the, the quote, the male gaze uh, associated in it, I think, you know, and that one, I think less than others, you know, like say Atomic Blonde, like I love Charlize Theron, but I don't think anybody that was, you know, identified as queer was in the room when that was pitched. It wasn't necessary. They're like, no. <laughs> That's the interesting thing about Bound, right? Because mm -hmm. we, when that movie came out, we thought the makers of that movie were straight mm -hmm. men. You right? Like, and, yeah. and now we know. For many and that movie years. came out and it was like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. This is queer yeah. noir. And it is brilliant and exciting and beautiful and sexy now we know it was made by queer people you know mm -hmm. it was made by trans women and bound is so special in that way mm -hmm. because yeah. you know the wachowski siblings delivered this beautiful 
you know, noir movie at a time when, you know, the studios just wanted them to make matrixes, right? And, you know, I, I, I think Bound is, is so special. And, it, you know, I mean, it put both of them, it solidified what they already were, which were basically queer icons. Icons, you know, Gina, sure. Gina Gershon, Gina Gershon and uh, Jennifer Tilly. But then after Bound, it's like, oh, you are forever going to be, right. uh, you know, worshipped by the queers. Yep. And exactly. they are. And so Cini Put away the Cher played, hair wigs. You, know, you don't need them anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're already there. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I, I'm super excited about this. Um, by the time listeners, you're, you're hearing this, uh, the, the upcoming uh, launch of Midnight Mass, the podcast, will be uh, coming in short order. But by the time you're listening to this, you can listen to a teaser. Uh, go find, uh, and there'll be a link in the notes for this episode, go find Midnight Mass podcast uh, with at the Peaches Christ and at Michael Verratti, V-A-R-R. ATI. Uh, I always spell things on my podcast and I know our listeners love it. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, it's important. Um, follow them on Instagram for more information and uh, check out Midnight Mass uh, on, on Buzzsprout, where it is currently hosted, although you'll be able to find it on all major podcasting platforms. Um, I want to dive into asking you guys some of our, our favorite, what's your favorite flick? questions i'm really interested to hear your guys take so first off is the basic one you've probably been asked this before um but uh what is your desert island tv show or movie the one thing if you could just have one and you knew that is the only thing you're going to have to watch besides the seagulls dropping dead you just uh had it what would it be we'll start with you peaches female trouble yeah, I just, I mean, it's one of those movies where I just, it makes me feel good. I just love it. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I hate this question because I, I hate the idea of only being, you know, limited to one right. movie for the rest of my life. But <laughs> if I had to answer, I would say Female Trouble. Female Trouble. Well, and then the thing is, is that it's the only thing that would actually make me write fan fiction would be on a desert island with just one thing uh, over <laughs> and over again. Um, right. I would probably choose a show that I actually liked in the beginning and then hated the final season. So, because it would feel like it would go forever and then I could just, you know, do full rewrites and I'd have a nemesis in my head, you know, whatever the showrunner was at that time, Michael, what is your desert Island, either TV show or film? Uh, you know, is, is, devoted to film as I am, if I'm stuck on a desert Island and I can have a show, which is hours and hours more entertainment, uh, I'm going Twin Peaks. There's no other choice. I mean, to me, I'm a huge David Lynch devotee. Uh, and the thing about that show is you can watch it a hundred times and have a hundred different things to unpack. So, uh, I, but you'd I think, still be missing walk in fire. Was it walk in fire with me or walk with Oh, fire walk, walk with me. Yeah. Fire walk with me. Cause you'd be, cause you, you'd eventually be like, man, I'd like to watch that again and see how that fits in. And you wouldn't cause you just have the TV show. But the TV show is three glorious seasons, and sure. uh, a lot of what happens in Fire Walk With Me is also re-kind of iterated by True. the show. And, I mean, I guess I would have those lonely nights where I'd wonder what happened to Chris Isaac, I guess. But <laughs> we all have to make those sacrifices. You know, to be honest, I still wonder what happened to Chris Isaac. Every once in a while, I get a snippet, and then, and then the question arises once again. Fair. <laughs> good choices and i uh i have to say i am not surprised you chose female trouble peaches that was uh that was that <laughs> was one of my guesses um here's one that i like to ask because i like to bitch and moan and complain about things that other people uh, uh 
find joy in. So what is something that is popular, a film or TV show that is popular or was popular or is sort of canonized by the world that you cannot stand? Uh, Michael, let's go with you. (laughs) Uh, You know, I have a long history of avoiding questions like this because I just kind of feel like if you like something, it's your business, not mine. Uh, And as a filmmaker, I don't like putting down other films. But, uh, you know, in the fairness of of the game, uh, I don't care for The Godfather. I never have. I never will. Uh, and it's because... No, I, my face almost did the same thing as Peaches. If you guys are watching on YouTube, the yeah. jaw did drop. Right. Um, and I've actually addressed this in other shows, which is why I feel comfortable talking about it. It's because I grew up uh, in a, a household that was primarily Italian. And it's one of those movies that like everybody uh, kind of, that was their basis of understanding of what an Italian family was like so I had to hear like all of the like kind of questions about you know this just kind of like perceived machismo Mm -hmm. idea of what it was and then to actually have relatives who kind of thought that they were Don Corleone or Tony Soprano and walking around with this bravado I'm like did you finish the fucking movie it doesn't end well for these guys that is not that is not like a, a a male that you want to emulate so I actually it is it is a brilliantly made film Francis Ford Coppola is a brilliant filmmaker but it's a movie that I just really struggle with because it just was like shoved down my throat when I was a kid and I just can't I it's can't. true my wife uh, her family is Italian and I can tell you it isn't like the Godfather uh it's exactly like Saturday Night Fever um 100 yeah, percent. that's true don't touch my hair <laughs> don't touch my hair do not yeah. touch my hair yeah. um so peaches what is your disdained movie or tv show uh you know i guess i'm trying to think of a movie that was like super popular when it came out that i went to see and just did not really get and i would say that for me it was forrest gump like i i just remember being like this is so stupid but like not in a not in a way that i appreciated you know right. um i didn't find it campy enough to it wasn't barb and star you know, go to vista del mar no which <laughs> that's yeah. good stupid Great. brilliant um, so yeah i mean I, I don't know that i hate forrest gump i was trying mm-hmm. to think of like a movie i hated i mean I, I guess in a way i think when i hate a movie it's usually because it's forgettable Mm. which I know is kind of me kind of it's a non-answer but honestly it's it's movies that bore me or that uh you know I just like like, weren't you in Astro Zombies 4 (laughs) yes I was it was wonderful actually guys wonderful go check it out I was gonna say you know you're talking to the wrong people because Ted B Michaels is uh you know someone venerated by this magic magic right but but sadly I don't think we can classic (laughs) <laughs> it's true yeah no i and i my people listen to the podcast i swear to god as soon as i say this they will turn it off because they've heard me beat it down but my biggest one is probably silver linings playbook i it's a terrible it's a terrible uh, yeah. story uh it misrepresents and that's the thing one of the things that bothers me are things that extremely misrepresent sensitive areas of our society and of course um by the same token i love movies where it's like he's crazy and he's a psychopath but Mental illness does not work in the way that two two mental illness come together to make a whole. That was madness right. and insanity. And I wouldn't. And I think you guys are getting at it too. It wouldn't have been an issue if it wasn't so well received and so so many people are like this is brilliant. I'm like, it's not brilliant. 
Um, and I have long given up hope of uh, meeting the individuals involved that could actually help my career or life somewhere to, to worry about offending them. Um, but everyone involved in the production seems very competent and kind and wonderful. But that was a miserable uh, film in my humble imagination, just terrible. And also whatever, this is, this is a dig, but whatever makeup artist is in charge of Jennifer Lawrence, give her eyebrows. That movie, I couldn't see her emotion. They're like, she's acting so well. I'm like, I can't tell. You didn't fill in her eyebrows. Um, it was troubling. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is mine. Um, here's here's one, and this this I think we all have multiple multiple feelings about this one. But what's a film or a project, something that you always return to that kind of fuels you to do your own creativity because i know i have tons of those when i'm feeling low or or empty and i just don't have much to go on i can always be inspired by these things let's start michael uh night of the creeps fred decker uh one of my favorite 80s horror movies uh it hits so many marks for me i wrote a chapter for a book uh about it the book's called my favorite horror movie they talked to different horror creators and when they asked her, like, do you think you know what you will talk about? I was like, 100%. This is the movie that I'm going for. Um, because there's so much there. It's a comedy. It's a 1950s drive-in monster movie. Mm -hmm. There are aliens. There are zombies. zombies. There's Tom Atkins giving everything that you want from Tom Atkins. And there is queerness to it. Like, I think that there is some uh, really great coming-of-age uh you know, everyone's talking about Luca and this kind of like uh, unspoken subtext between two men. Well, in the mm -hmm. in the midst of Night of the Creeps, there's a boy who's clearly in love with another boy and they don't shy away from it. And that was all stuff that like I fed on and needed to see when I was growing up. I always describe it as a horror movie, uh, a zombie alien horror movie that uh, could have been directed by John Hughes. And I, I stand by that. 100%. Yeah, it really does have that... Um what I sort of think of as high camp, you know, it's camp yeah. because of how it makes me feel, not because it's pulling the tropes out intentionally and, and it's not a retread essentially, uh, even though on paper, it certainly is. Right. Uh, so it's a good choice. Peaches, what is uh, your inspiration fuel piece? Well, I have so many, so it's really, really hard to say, but just to, to rattle a few off, um, certainly the Rocky Horror Picture Show and its response, you know, has been very life-changing for me and inspirational in Midnight Mass. My stage show was completely influenced and inspired by the shadow casts that had come, you know, before it. Um, so I, I would say Rocky Horror for sure changed my life in that way. But then also so many of the movies that we've done at Midnight Mass where I have like kind of been married to certain titles for years and years, Showgirls, you know, I did for 20 years annually. Um, so that was a big part of my life, Mommy Dearest, I mean, all the John Waters movies. And, you know, all of these films in many ways um, have changed my life and especially A Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, I think be the first film, seeing that movie and that mashup of fantasy and horror mm -hmm. uh, was very, um, yeah, it was, it was transformative for me, you know. It's interesting. I was talking to a uh, uh, friend, friend of the pod, uh, Chris Seaver, uh, who's made, you know, so many, I mean, I can't even, we, we talked about um, uh, Moist Fury on this, on this podcast not too long ago, <laughs> and also his film, The Weirdsies. But that was his as well um was nightmare on elm street and it's interesting because growing up 
my first introduction to sort of uh, that the eighties era horror was Friday the 13th. And I think as a, as a young kid who was big into comics, the, the sort of comic vibe of the later Jason Voorhees with the mask, it was just very iconic. And so marketing wise, I fell into it. And it wasn't until I was, uh, uh, you know, a young adult that I went back and started watching Nightmare on Elm Street and realized I'm like, oh, wow, there are so many things in this film that have influenced multiple genres stemming from 80s horror uh and there is always something in 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 this series in general even the the dream sequence moment uh the dream you know trilogy etc mm -hmm. that visually i'm always surprised to see again and again it's like there is so much that i really don't retain it all until i watch it again and it's one of the few uh series of films where there is something new for me no matter how many times i watch it and i sort of i can see how the inspiring ness of it would play out because um chris mentioned star wars too and, and for him star wars is great but really we it's beautiful graphic effects creative all those things the practical effects are amazing but the story arc is so uh primal you know the joseph campbell hero with a thousand faces kind of thing it's so primal that i think that's what we think about so it's like watching star wars again we know exactly where it's going we're following the plot watching a nightmare on elm street the plot is not the important part to me you know, it's um, it's Freddy and the inventive ways that he crops up and is presented to these characters back and forth. Uh, and and I, I think it sort of broke the mold. And I, I didn't realize it until a uh, young adult. And I feel I feel cheated. Um, so we're going to we're going to move on to this one. This is one I added recently. I think uh, Hazel, the burlesque dancer, Hazel Honeysucker was the first person I asked this. And I like this one. Um, what is a holiday movie you adore and cherish? And what is one that you would never watch again had you the opportunity? Peaches, let's go with you. Well, I should mention, if you don't know already, but Michael, <laughs> in addition to doing I, horror I movies- I have seen several, yes, I think, okay, yes. He, uh, uh, so listeners need to know that Michael Ferrati is the person responsible for many of the Hallmark holiday movies that you love to hate. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, uh, what's amazing about that is Michael uh, and I, especially me, I'm sure Michael already knows this, but there, there's a whole world of people out there, much like a cult audience who love these Hallmark holiday movies. Um, Very much. For me, uh, I would say favorite holiday film. I don't really, you know, I mean, I guess you mean Christmas specifically. It doesn't have to be Christmas, but you, you know. Then I would have to say, and, and this is, I came to this later and it's because of my young drag daughter, Jinx Monsoon, who really pushed me to revisit the movie Hocus Pocus. Um, that, that because of that, and then me creating a parody show and then getting to watch that film over and over again, um, I really love that movie now. And I really get why for, for a certain generation of people, it is a traditional you know, movie event uh, during the Halloween season. And I don't think there's really any other Halloween movie that comes close to kind of delivering the magic that Hocus Pocus does. Mm -hmm. So that would be my favorite. And as far as, did you ask if we hated one? Yes, I did. Oh, what is God. one that you hate? And don't say Christmas in Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
God, I don't know. Uh, maybe I haven't seen enough of them to, to think. Again, I mean, so much of what I don't like, I, I don't like it because it's forgettable. So, um, you know, I'm thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything. And that's horrible. I, I think um, uh, uh, Santa Claus 3 would probably be the choice just because I don't remember anything about it other than Martin Short was in it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I also came into Hocus Pocus later because of my wife, because her family cherishes that movie. Um, and mm. I remembered when it had come out, I was younger and it had got like tepid reviews. Um, and I just, I don't know, it, even though I love Halloween, I love horror things, it just, it didn't speak to me. And um, as an adult, I watch it and I'm sort of horrified that I missed out when it came around. Um, number one, because I'm obsessed with any film that has an animatronic cat. Uh, I mean, I, I watch, you know, uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch reruns with Melissa Joan Hart over and over again just to watch Phil Hartman's mouth move, um, his, his non-mouth move. And, uh, and so I, I really love that. And I am excited for the sequel. Everyone signed on. I'm curious to see where, where yeah. they take that. Uh, but yeah, so good choices. Uh, Michael, what is your favorite and least favorite holiday film? Uh, my favorite holiday films are mine. No, um, I, <laughs> no, uh, I, uh, I. That's one of my my Christmas with a crown. I have I have it on my desk. Uh, no, I. Um, it is interesting because you know, Peaches brings up the fact that I've worked on a lot of TV holiday films, and that's true. And uh, I've been interviewed about sort of the the split identities of working in horror and working on holiday cinema. And Peaches kind of hit the nail on the head. They both have equally ravenous audiences and people who love holiday movies really embrace them because of the transportive nature of, of these films. And it always cracks me up. I'll be at Comic-Con, you know, doing a, a talk or a signing and someone wants their horror movie signed and their mom's with them. And they'll be like, oh, but can I get a copy of Christmas and Reunion or whatever? So uh, I have a great affinity for Christmas movies and I see a lot of them. But I'm also a pain in the ass when people ask me this question. I never like isolate one. My favorite holiday movie is Batman Returns. Uh, Fair. Because Fair it's disturbing and strange. I like that it's this bizarre gothic Christmas movie that just happens to have Batman in it. Right. Uh, and then... It, I actually hadn't even thought of that. But you're right. Batman yeah. Returns is actually a killer holiday movie yeah people say yeah. die hard and i'm like no no it's batman no. returns, returns. Batman i mean because you have danny devito as uh as a physically deformed uh abandoned orphan and uh he commands penguins which to me is you have to only do horrible things near christmas if you control penguins like no. that's well and the whole mistletoe thing that you know bruce wayne and selena kyle have mm. at the party that then comes back later just sort mm. of and, and the movies sort of using the themes of christmas to explore this sort of oppressive chauvinistic world that eventually beat her into submission and how she turns back around and uses it to kill all these men mm. that's an amazing holiday story you know christmas is for catwoman it's for nobody else right yeah. and christopher walken is sort of the ebenezer scrooge in that movie you know in in every way shape or form including his hairpiece yeah. um good choice what is it what is your least like let's let's phrase it that way of the um, holiday I movies 
I don't really have a holiday movie that I like particularly don't like because uh, I see so many that kind of like what Peach just said earlier in the answer to the films that, you know, if you hate it, you just kind of forget about it. Um, but I suppose, and I say this with absolute love for the movie and for the filmmaker, it's just that they do 24 hour marathons of it. So I'm kind of burned out. I could probably do without seeing a Christmas story again, but it's only because sure. I've seen it so many times. <laughs> this is, I, with Peach's face on so many of your answers, Michael, I feel like <laughs> I'm seeing the dismantling of Midnight Mass podcast before it officially <laughs> airs properly. Well, he's being very controversial on this podcast. I have sure. to say, I'm gonna have to answer for the, the impending cancellation we may, we may suffer from because He's talked shit about both The Godfather and A Christmas Story. These are beloved, beloved movies. I actually kind of love it. So I'm just sort of, you know, milking the drama. Yeah, well, you could have had Hecklina as a host and you picked me, so <laughs> fine, deal with it. That's true, that's true. And Hecklina she, would absolutely she, not raise any controversy at all. Well, and not, she, oh my God, she has the worst taste in movies. I mean, her favorite, her favorite film star Jean-Claude Van Damme, and I'm not even lying. But no, hard and I, no, hard to, which one was it? Do you know? No, I'm saying all of her favorite movies do. Oh, <laughs> but no, I mean, like he, she loves all of them. Uh, uh, but I do think I, I, I actually do love a Christmas story. But I did that thing where when you were a kid and it was on TBS, how they would just show it over and over yeah. and over again. It's like when you eat too much candy and then you just can't eat a certain candy anymore. But Bob Clark is the greatest holiday filmmaker of all time because he's got Black Christmas under his belt. He has a Christmas story. Like That's he walks true. the Dakai he walks like the you want to talk about horror and Christmas. He did it both. And uh he's yeah, one Black of my favorites. Christmas so. is Black Christmas is actually maybe, fantastic. you know, if, if I didn't choose Hocus Pocus, maybe Black Christmas. And it's funny that you bring up a Christmas story because we all watched it like you did as a family. And my partner, uh, Nihat, grew up in Turkey and does not celebrate Christmas. And so um, a couple years, no, I mean, we've been together 10 years. So it was probably 10 years ago or so. We made him watch a Christmas story and everyone just stared at him the whole time, you know, with each, because there's so many iconic moments, you know, and like when he wouldn't react to something like fragile because he has no reason to react to it right. we were kind of like don't you get it you know poor Nihat. he was afterwards he was like i don't understand why you love that movie i me me and me and him will sit in a room together because i hate to say it i actually don't like uh that movie um, wow but again i didn't see it until i was like 25 um, oh, yeah, you have to grow up and yeah. and it was a similar thing with goonies although i've come around a little bit because it's the most insane premise of all time um i i wish like i one of these days i keep meaning to go uh on on a bookseller.com whatever and get an old copy of the script of goonies because i feel like reading it on paper will actually transport me beyond this life into some other realm because how that actually progressed to being filmed is truly uh it must have been an act of god and i and i don't think i believe in God, but uh, Wait, that so might you, be the I don't, I, I actually, are, are you saying you don't buy it? Goonies? Yeah. Goonies in general? No, buy, do you mean buy into it? No, absolutely not. <laughs> because I, I saw it in the movie theater. I was obsessed with it, but it is funny now, again, when you see things through other people's eyes, especially someone who did not grow up with these references and, and re-watch these things as an adult through another adult's eyes who has yeah. no concept of it. There was part of me showing Nihat the Goonies and being like, yeah, this is nuts. 
Yeah, I think I, I think I actually uh, lost friends over that that one evening when I saw that movie the first time because people were so like, um, like I quoting the lines along, you know, it was like, but for some reason, things like Rocky Horror, I totally got right away. And I didn't see that until I was, uh, you know, a young adult either. Um, right. But I think it all depends on where your mindset is at the time, because Rocky Horror, I'm like, I'm like, oh, uh, men and women in, in negligees, rock and roll music, meatloaf, Tim Curry. Uh, and, well, and, like, and Roger, like, you know, the cross-dressing, the sexual. Well, here's the difference, right? Columbia Rocky raised a Horror, lot of confusing feelings for me. Yeah. Rocky Horror, still, Tim Curry is still sexy. Yes. It's still. Uh, still the best trans- voice it, ever. Yeah, still, and it's still transgressive. There's nothing transgressive about the Goonies. I love the Goonies, True. but in, in the world of cult movies, I call them Goonies, like Hocus Pocus, a nostalgia film. This yeah. is for people who grew up li- sure. liking it. And A Christmas Story is a nostalgia film. Rocky Horror, Pink Flamingos, um, you know, Santa Sangre, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, Ken Russell's The Devils. These movies will stand the test of time because they continue to, you know, be uh transgressive even like, all these like, years later it, it's like the martyrs it's like it's like a rite yes. of passage to be like oh this is the world of film that i haven't seen before right yeah and i think that you know we can sit here and like when you mention a movie you like or a movie you don't and that fan thing where we clutch our pearls when someone says something <laughs> about whatever the reality is, is is what peaches says is true that these movies not only are cultural moments but because of where culture was they become personal moments and when you hook your kind of like personal attachment to a film it it creates an expectation that can never be lived up to by a generation that follows it you know tying it back to the show that peaches and i are doing together one of our explorations of cult is this idea of these things that we consider untouchable and like the infallible classics at some point will move into a space that people either need to discover them or they'll stop discovering them. And it's, it's fascinating just, you know, how, how time marches on and what continues to work and what doesn't. I think that is a, a really great point because especially those of, right now, I mean, and listeners know this uh, because I have, I have, leached my way into your little subculture uh happily so vhs collecting is so massive right now and that is an aspect where we you can still see the films that oh this will no longer be picked up by the next generation this movie is not going to move forward and it's sort of uh for me was really an eye-opener that oh things really are lost and it's not right or wrong. It's simply the nature of the amount of content we as a species produce and also the uh, amount of uh, consumerism that, that we can do, you know, as a, as a massive, I think we're all probably massive above the normal threshold consumers of media um, of various types. Yet even then, there is a, a limit to what we can consume and thus preserve and share and bring forward. And I think that's why podcasts like Colton Classic Podcast and Excited Midnight Mass Podcast are so great is because it gives us an opportunity to bring forward things that people would otherwise not be aware of. They could be lost and maybe they don't deserve it. Um, and or because everything, even the worst movie, and Michael, you kind of mentioned this as well, it speaks to somebody. Um, and 
hopefully it speaks in a right way, you know, but even if it's just the filmmaker, you know, I love this because I made it and I put all this blood, sweat and energy. Good for you. Don't show it to me, but I'm super happy that that was great for you. No, it, it's 100% true. You know, part of existing in the horror space is I do a lot of conventions and I always tell people every movie and you see it more at conventions in practice than anywhere else. Every single movie that exists is somebody's favorite movie. Maybe only one person loves that movie, but that is that person's favorite movie. And for that reason alone, every movie has value. So even when I talk about movies I don't like or don't work for me, I'm usually the first person to say, but it's probably me. Like, it's like, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't like this, but it's probably more my damage than the movie's damage. <laughs> because the, the reality is, is that's kind of the joy of this art form is you can get as weird as you want, someone's gonna dig it, you know? Sure. And and I think that that's the way to look at it too, is as a critic, oftentimes, and I think a, a poor critic, um, it, they do exist in high numbers. And this is why we get all of the spoofs. I mean, Simpsons a million times over has has made fun of, of film critics with absolute good reason, as has every other long, form, you know, long running art form. Um, the problem is that, they think it's their job to tear down. But the reality is, is it's closer to, in my opinion, being a literary critic in it, than it is uh, a, a recommendation guru. You know, I'm analyzing the film right. and I'm talking about the different pieces and it will give people insights that they may not have. And likewise, I will hear like, oh, oh I, I don't like Elf. I love Will Ferrell, but I cannot comprehend why this is a popular movie. I don't want to watch Zoe Deschanel look confused for two hours. I don't want to. But somebody comes up to me and they tell me this great little snippet or story or aspect and it changes my view. You know, right. I still not going to love the movie, but now I understand it in a new light. I've learned something and I've connected with other people that before I had a wall there. So there's all sorts of great things about film and I've run way over time with you guys, but it was inevitable. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to wrap this up again, guys, of course, subscribe to Cult and Classic Podcast, wherever you find your podcasts and on youtube.com, but also check out Midnight Mass and the direct, if you want to check them out online, it's midnightmass.buzzsprout.com. That's B-U-Z-Z-S-P-R-O-U-T.com. And, uh, is there anything else you guys want to put forward? I know you guys have tons of projects in the works. I know there's non-disclosure agreements for some of them. Um, feel free to break those here. Uh, I, I have I have no legal obligations. But uh, yeah, so what do you, I know you guys are shopping your film and some other projects. Is there anything um, within, you know, the this, this extremely brutally hot summer season that you'd like to direct people towards uh, beyond Midnight Mass? Uh, for me, I would uh, say that if you're going to be in the Bay Area at all in the fall, um, go to terrorvault.com and, and check out our new show, our Halloween offering. It's an immersive haunted attraction, a whole new show called The Immortal Reckoning. And on select nights, Peaches Christ will even play Mother Superior in the show. So uh, that, that's like kind of my big return to live performance. It'll be this fall. Fantastic. And I know that's been in the works for a while. I know Miss, <laughs> yes. Miss Covidina put that on hold, yes. but I'm excited. I, yeah, the, 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 uh, the show's going to be amazing because we've had longer to work on it than ever before. 
And I also want to put out there that uh, the fans continue to clang in battle. And by fans, I mean 100% me at this point. Please, please, please re-release the Peaches Christ short films, other things of that nature. Put some well, stuff. That's, yeah, that's the other thing that's coming is we're finally, was this revamping my whole website. There will be lots and lots of content going back up there. And, uh, and we're also working on, you know, re-releasing All About Evil. So that's- Very excited. Uh, coming soon. I'm, I am expecting the autographed copy to match the, the DVD copy that I have in the mail. Um, super excited for it. And Michael, what have you got in the pipeline that you are excited about? What Christmas venture are you bringing to the screen? By the way, I did want, I keep running over myself because I also want to mention, you were talking about that weird intersection between holiday film and horror. Also, the reason I brought up A Christmas in Vermont is because I actually have seen that film uh, <laughs> because I am a huge fan of Fred Olin Ray. And uh, Fred Olin, yes, we exist. Uh, Fred Olin Ray, I'm just kidding, he's, he's an interesting guy, uh, made tons of horror films, tons of these weird borderline smut films in the 2000s, and also lots of kids' movies uh, as well. Just really the gamut, you know? Um, no, you know what's interesting is uh, the world of, of the holiday films in the TV space, there are so many folks who come from the world of horror who work on those. And, and, and the Wall Street Journal actually did a piece on it a couple of Christmases back. They interviewed me, they talked to David Dakota, they talked to Ron Oliver who did Prom Night 2. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that horror filmmakers, especially horror filmmakers who exist in spaces like Fred does, who have worked on kind of late night cable horror that's made to a budget and made to a timeline, can make these Christmas movies because we already know how to, you know, write tight, make quick, produce content, you know? And uh, working with Fred on A Christmas in Vermont was awesome because I grew up watching USA Up All Night and I loved evil tunes and Hollywood chainsaw hookers and those yeah. movies. So to have a movie that I wrote that was directed by, you know, kind of one of these late night movie renegades of the late eighties and early nineties was a thrill. Uh, David Dakota also directed a lifetime thriller that I did. So, you know, I've got Dakota and, and Fred Olin Ray movies that's under right. my belt. And that's awesome. He also made one of my favorite films, A Talking Cat? question mark um that's <laughs> yes. a fun one and, and uh yeah and so i do want to mention that but yes what have you got down the pipeline uh aside from the excellent and should be subscribed to midnight mass podcast uh well on, as far as i know no christmas movies this year i do have a couple tv movies that will be coming later in the season one about a killer nurse and one about a wedding uh gone wrong so i do thrillers as well as christmas films uh, but i personally uh stayed very busy during the pandemic and I found ways to keep making films because I'm not good at uh, sitting still. And I did a sort of experimental art house horror short called What's Left Inside, which is going to be premiering at the Soho Horror Film Festival, which people can actually watch it digitally. That's coming up in July. And then it's gonna be rolling out at festivals soon. So keep your eyes out on that if you want some kind of like queer adjacent weirdness that's, that's coming up. Also, yeah, Dragula season four and uh, Keep up with what Peaches and I are up to. 
That's right. And keep up here at Colton Classic Podcast with what I'm up to, which is usually sitting in this chair in the studio, uh, speaking into a microphone. And guys, I want to remind you, please uh, like and subscribe wherever you find your podcast and at youtube.com. It really helps us out. It helps people like you find us and it helps share. Uh, the algorithms are, are, are real creative with how they get out there. So uh, do that. Also subscribe to Midnight Mass Podcast wherever you find your podcasts or at midnightmass.buzzsprout.com and like and subscribe and share as well. I'm excited to bring this stuff to you every week. And uh, please write in to Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com any horror conventions, film conventions, comic conventions, local conventions that you'd like to see us at because finally things are open up again. We are vaccinated. Uh, and so now we can come see you and just spread normal diseases to you. Uh, <laughs> I'm really excited for that. So thank you so much, Peaches Christ. Thank you so much, Michael Varati. We really love having you here and I hope to check in again soon. Anytime you guys have something you'd like us to plug because that's what we do. We plug stuff up. Thanks so much. To play us out, as always, is the Chud with All About Evil. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.